This morning's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in man's likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord for us. My family raised chickens when I was a kid. I remember feeding them and doing the chores. We, we would often take our table scraps and throw them over the fence into the chicken yard. And I remember watching as the chickens fought and, and scrapped with one another for their meal. Boy, I can tell you this, chickens are mean. <laughs> they, they will fight with one another. This is not just a feeding frenzy where they're hungry and they want food. This is actually a pecking order. And so if you've spent any time around a chicken or poultry, you, you know something of this, that it's a, a clear delineated order of importance. It's called the pecking order. We use that in common usage. So if you have a dozen chickens, let's say, uh, chickens one through 11 can pick on chicken number 12. And that's just the way it works. That's how it goes. The, the one on top is the one who eats first. Now, we've probably all experienced something like that, even in our own lives, that that pecking order, right? So uh, when you're the freshman on the soccer team and you've got to carry the equipment, or when you're the newest hire and you're the one who's always given the grunt work to do. This, of course, happens in our social circles, doesn't it? Like some are more popular and more desirable while others are only hoping for an invitation. It doesn't feel good, does it? The, the pecking order doesn't feel good. And, and maybe you say, oh, well, it's harmless. You, you, everyone has to pay their dues. You know, someone's got to rule the roost. <laughs> but what does it matter? Uh, here's why it matters. The, the Bible doesn't seem to approach it that way. The, the Bible doesn't seem to have that kind of response of, oh, it's good for us to have to pay our dues and, and take our place in the pecking order. Um, in fact... There are lots of warnings in the Bible about favoritism. Uh, when we preached through the book of James here, we had a, a sermon specifically de- dedicated to favoritism and how the Bible speaks into that issue. Treating people differently rather than treating each person the same. So, so in a pecking order, or for us, you know, in, a, in social order, uh, once that order is set, it becomes all too tempting to give respect and admiration to those who are above us while being callous and insensitive or even cruel to those who are below us. And that's where things get really ugly and hurtful and sinful. But you see, the beauty of God's kingdom is that there is a radically different way. The beauty of the upside-down kingdom where Christ is king is that Jesus set the example. So consider this for a moment when we talk about Jesus, who was king of kings. And yet what did he do? He rode on the back of a donkey. He was God in flesh. And yet what did he do? He played with small children and he washed feet and he healed lepers and he dined with sinners and he laid down his very life for all of humanity. (laughs) And so we are going to see from the scriptures today that we are called to imitate Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. 
Let me introduce myself. I'm John Reisner. I serve as lead pastor. Just thrilled that you are with us today for worship, for fellowship, and now to study the Word of God. And I'm praying that through our time together, your heart and home grow stronger in the Lord. This is week four out of our nine-week series in the book of Philippians. This is a book about the contagious joy that comes from following Jesus. God gives us great joy when we serve others. That's really sort of the main thesis. This morning, we're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 11. When we humble ourselves like Jesus, thinking of others and putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves like Jesus. I heard the story about a mother who was making pancakes for her two boys. The boys start arguing over who's going to get the first pancakes. And the mom sees it as a teaching opportunity. She says, Now, boys, hold on a minute. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I'll wait for mine. And so there's a moment of silence where the two boys, and they're very young, are sort of mulling over this idea. And then the five-year-old turns to his brother and says, okay, Robbie, you can be Jesus. (laughs) We don't really need to be taught about being selfish, do we? That uh, as parents and when you work with children and young people, you see that Uh, from some of those earliest stages. We don't need to be taught to be selfish. And in our culture, we certainly throughout life hear messages that reinforce it. Look out for number one. That's a message we hear. That's a message that's communicated regularly. Look out for number one. Get yours. Climb to the top. No matter who gets in your way. Every man for himself. Throw the first punch. Have you heard that one? (laughs) Throw the first punch. Here's what the Bible says, Luke 14, 11. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. Whoever exalts themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. It's an upside down, radically different way that the kingdom operates versus the way the world operates. So if you brought your Bible with you this morning, which I hope you did, we're in Philippians chapter 2. Please open your Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're taking our time with this amazing epistle, this letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And so let's begin in verse 1, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, Paul says to this church, make my joy complete By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This church, as we understand something of the, the context, the church in Philippi, they were experiencing division. They were struggle. One of the struggles for this particular congregation was conflict. Uh, we know that because of chapter four. Um, Paul, there in chapter 4, we're not there yet, obviously. We'll get there uh, in a number of weeks. But it's there that Paul actually calls out by name two women <laughs> who are having a dispute and having a disagreement. And so he's helping us see here, he's speaking directly to this church and to their situation, of course, that the goal should be to imitate Christ. That should be the goal. We're to be on mission for him. And so Paul's encouragement here for the church at Philippi is, Put aside your own selfish differences. Put those things aside and unite for the cause of the gospel. Like there are bigger things at stake here 
So get over yourselves and over your, your petty arguments and your conflicts and your disagreements. Come together and unite for the cause of the gospel. I heard a sobering true story that happened a number of years ago uh, in a Dallas church. Uh, church split. Lawsuits filed. Uh, they, want, they were arguing over who's going to get the property uh, of the building. The judge uh, in the courts actually referred the case back to their denomination to handle. And during the hearing, the church courts discovered that the conflict began at a church dinner when a certain elder was given a smaller piece of ham than the child next to him. True story. Lord, help us. (laughs) And of course, we ourselves are not immune from the idea of arguments, conflicts, disagreements, church splits. We know that all too well. So let's look at verse 5. We're going we're gonna to jump ahead and we'll come, we'll come back. But we're in Philippians chapter 2. And in verse 5 we have this. In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So everyone in here goes, great, awesome, I love it. Let's have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. <laughs> okay, here's a big question for you. I'm glad that's where you are. How? <laughs> How do you do that? How do you have the same, the same mindset or depending on your translation, it might say the same attitude as Jesus? And I would suggest to us this morning, if we have any chance of imitating Christ, of of developing a servant's heart, of of being united in one spirit, of one mind, then this morning is as good of an opportunity as, as any to address the elephant in the room, the elephant in our lives, the elephant in our relationships, selfishness. That tendency that so many of us struggle with to live a me-centered existence where things revolve around me and everything is filtered through the lens of what I want. Now, if I were to ask in this place, by show of hands, who, who among us is selfish? And I'm not doing that. Keep your hands up. There wouldn't be very many hands raised. But a true, you know, true confession, raise your hand if you're a selfish person. There would not be very many of us who would raise our hand for that. And we could point to all of the ways that we serve, all of the ways that we volunteer. Our, our church is, is amazing. I brag about our church. And the ways that our church family volunteers. This is a church who's on board. This is a church who is willing to step up and say, I'll help with that ministry. I'll show up and uh, do the parking ministry for the feeding the hungry yesterday morning. Like, this is an amazing church who volunteers. So so that's part of, I think, our our mentality is, are you a selfish person? Well, no, I'm not a selfish person. I can tell you the ways that I uh, contribute to others and serve others and I volunteer in various places. But here's the problem with that. (laughs) That we can still be selfish and give a tithe to the local church. We can still be selfish and cook dinner for our families. We can still be selfish and offer to give our spouse a back rub because it's about our attitude. It's about our attitude. You see, if giving our tithe or cooking a meal or giving someone a back rub or, or doing those acts of kindness and acts of service to others. If we do those and think it's a big deal, then we probably have an attitude problem. <laughs> like, like, 
I'm not humbly serving because I think so much of others, because I think so highly of others. I'm sort of expecting praise. Why? Because I think I'm a big deal. If, if I think doing those things is a big deal, it's probably because I think I'm a big deal and I have an attitude problem. So I do want to talk through a little bit this morning about doing sort of a self-diagnostic selfishness test. Like, how do I know if I'm a selfish person? There are a few telltale signs of a selfish person. So I'm humbly submitting this, preaching to myself more than any of you, a few telltale signs about a selfish person. And it's firstly that selfish people tend to have a lot of conflict. Uh, they, they have that note from the teacher that says, doesn't play well with others. <laughs> they want their way. And they want their way so much that it really doesn't matter what the desires or wishes or cares of other people are because they want their way and they're going to pursue their way. So selfish people tend to have a lot of conflict. Now, James speaks directly into this in the book of James chapter 4 and verse 1, where he says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Aren't they caused by the selfish desires that fight to control you? Good question, James. <laughs> good good, good uh, uh, potential proposition there. What is it that causes fights and quarrels, he asks. And then he says, could it be, might it be, isn't it because of your selfishness? By the way, there is one group of people who never has conflict. They never get upset. Do you know who that is? Nomads. Selfish people tend to have a lot of conflict. Another sign of selfishness is gossip, backbiting, when you regularly, consistently talk about the person who's not in the room, when you speak ill of, talk down about, share bad information about the people who aren't present, you know, sort of sort of gossiping, and, and, and here's why. Here's why this, this plays out this way in the life of a selfish person is because when in your mind you have everything figured out, then everyone else is an idiot, <laughs> All right? And, and so again, this is, this is a self-diagnostic attitude check for, for each and every one of us. Am I a selfish person? Do I tend to think I know the answer and think I know the right way? I've got it figured out. And so then it's easy to, to gossip and talk about other people because it's like, well, he doesn't get it. And I don't know why he does this. And did you hear about what she did? Uh, these kind of people always seem to have the answer. <laughs> uh, otherwise known as know-it-alls, right? They, they know the right way to parent children. They know in your workplace, they know the right way to perform that task. They know the way it should be done. They know how to navigate a global pandemic. We found this out recently. They know what should be happening. They know how to drive properly. They know how to spend money. You know what else they know? How you should vote in the next election. Isn't that nice? I'm glad you're laughing. <laughs> and not throwing rotten tomatoes. This is, this is a tendency that, that some of us have and struggle with, right? It's, it's this me-centered existence where it's like, I've figured these things out, 
And so the rest of the world are just a bunch of idiots. And so no wonder that someone in this place talks badly about others. Gossips and backbites. You know, all you want is the juicy news of of failure and scandal and sin. And it's selfish. Gossip in and of itself is, is a selfish act, if you think about it. Because you're choosing that tantalizing scoop and info and getting the dish rather than accountability and love. And calling that person back to Christ and to a better way. You don't, you don't care enough about the person to talk to them. So you talk about them. That's one of the other signs of a selfish person. They tend to have a lot of conflict. They tend to be gossiping and talking about others, the know-it-all who knows what should happen and, and uh, talks about the people who don't seem to do it right. And then there's a third sign that I want to point out, and this one is pride. And you say, well, how do you know if someone is prideful? Because isn't that an inward thing? Yeah, so this one might be a little more difficult to detect. <laughs> but you can detect it best in yourself. Like, do I have this inflated ego? Do I think of myself more highly than I ought to? In fact, for this, let, let's do a quick little sidetrack over to the book of Romans, chapter 12. So we're studying Philippians. This is the same author, different book, but he speaks directly to this. So I want to take us there to Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 through 3, where we see there that Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. He says in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And so the confidence we have, you know, if we're, if we're talking about pride, self-esteem, the confidence we have is only in Christ. And we have this teaching in other places. I don't think I'll take us there this morning. We have this teaching in other places in Scripture as well, is that, is that uh, I will boast only in Christ, that, that idea, that concept. Uh, in fact, if we look at Romans twelve three again here, it seems that our boasting and pride and confidence really is only in relation to the faith that God has distributed to each and every one of us. Like, like if we want to be confident about anything, if we want to boast about anything, it's only about the faith given to us as a gift from Almighty God. So Paul says elsewhere, I will not boast about myself, only about my weaknesses. So all of that, the opposite is true for the selfish person, where the selfish person is always trying to make themselves look good. And so they do tend to brag about themselves. And even if they're not boasting about how grand they are, you'll notice that they try to puff themselves up by tearing others down. And we already talked about that, didn't we? The gossiping of the backbiting. That, that's a form of pride. 
I'm going to try to inflate myself. I'm going to try to make myself look better by tearing down those that are around me. That makes me look taller and more grand when the people around me look more incompetent. So those are a few telltale signs that get right to the heart of this guy. And I'm challenged and I'm encouraged as I read the scriptures and this great letter to the church in Philippi that I should imitate Christ. And that if I have any hope of imitating Christ, it means humbling myself because that's just what Jesus did. That I am to have, according to verse 5, we're in Philippians chapter 2, the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So let's jump back to Philippians chapter 2 in your Bibles. We're going to walk through the rest of this passage together. And here's what I see and want to share with the rest of our time together this morning is three ways to experience the contagious joy of being like Jesus. Three ways to experience this is contagious joy. We have joy because of Christ. Praise God. And he cannot be taken away from us. He is with us. He promises us that in his work. So we don't allow people or circumstances to steal our joy. But we see in this passage three ways to experience the contagious joy of being like Jesus. And the first is to think of others. Thinking of others. This is such a theme in the book of Philippians. You will see this over and over and over and consistently if you read these, uh, these chapters. That Paul often refers to our mind, our thoughts, our internal life, and our attitude. And so Paul helps to frame this idea of imitating Christ with the idea of we must think of others. We must value them, honor them, think well of them. And so we're ready for verse 3, Philippians chapter 2. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Simply put, kingdom-minded people are considerate people. Considerate people. We don't think of ourselves, we think of others. That's just what Jesus did. He didn't think of himself. He didn't try to promote himself. He, didn't, he, he used his standing, he used his position not to further himself, but to pour himself out on behalf of others. And of course, to do this, it takes discipline. We've got to constantly, regularly, daily ask the Lord to help us. I want to die to self. It takes discipline. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 5, we take captive every thought. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So to imitate Christ, to have that contagious joy, we think of others. We also must serve others. <laughs> this one kind of goes without saying. But here's what needs to be addressed. It takes a lot of humility to truly, genuinely value others enough that we serve them. Like this is really hard if you consider yourself to be higher in the pecking order than the person that needs served. And so that's why, the, that's why it begins with thinking of others. Think well of others, and then we choose to serve others as well. So let's pick it back up at verse 6. So we're talking about Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Jesus, as God, didn't demand that we serve him. In fact, he says that very clearly. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but chose to take the nature of a servant. Jonas told me a story just, that happened just yesterday. He was with the uh, Highland boys soccer team and they went out for a breakfast. And coach had told him, bring your money along. You're going to share breakfast together and uh, you cover your own costs. And there was a gentleman who was dining at the same restaurant who saw uh, that this boys soccer team was there and he wanted to encourage these young fellows. And he said, here, I'll pick up the tab. Like, that was like hundreds of dollars for food for these hungry high school boys. That was someone who probably had a little higher status and clout than these teenagers who chose to serve them and bless them. So we all agree, as we talk about serving, we all agree with this in principle. You know, we admire those who serve. We sing their praises. We hold them in high esteem. And, and we aspire to do the same, to, to serve. But let's be honest. Doing it is a whole nother challenge. Most people love the idea of serving more than they love actually serving. They love the idea of serving more than actually serving. Like the, the guy whose son walked through the fresh concrete, uh, the cement driveway. He's losing his temper, and the wife reminds him that he loves his son. To which the dad replies, I love him in the abstract, but not in the concrete. <laughs> That's like us. We, we love the idea of serving in the abstract, but we have a hard time serving in specific scenarios. The other thing I want to talk about as it relates to serving others and becoming a servant and, and laying aside our rights and privileges like Christ did to serve others is, how do you avoid being taken advantage of? So, the person who chooses this path of imitating Christ... Being humble doesn't mean then that you don't have control of your life. You are simply subject to the whims of other people. Does it mean that you are a complete and total doormat and every request is a yes and every uh, ask is you've got to respond initially, immediately, right away? This is, this is definitely a nuanced theological position, isn't it? Where we say, Jesus chose to be a servant, and we should imitate him and serve others and serve the least of these. But does that mean then that my life is subject to the whims of others and I don't have control? I would say no. And I would say no because then it becomes a stewardship issue. That God has called me to be the husband of Rachel, and he's called me to be the father of these wonderful, beautiful, amazing eight children. And he's called me to be the pastor of MCA. And he's called me in other places to be a leader in our community. And I have responsibilities and obligations that need to be fulfilled in obedience to him. And so it becomes a nuanced conversation about serving. <laughs> and it can be really hard. And every yes, it's been said, is a thousand no's. So we've got to learn to say yes and to develop the heart of a servant, but at the same time, we've got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and what he is leading us to do. Because I'm learning and, and, and grappling and stumbling along the way about learning to say no and realizing that that's 
God's best is saying no at times. So again, this sermon is being preached for me. Thanks for sitting in this morning. (laughs) Appreciate you guys being here and hope that you're encouraged along the way. I do think that here's here's part of it. As we talk about being a servant in the context of loving Christian community, um, and part of it is who... To, who, to whom am I entrusting myself? So, if I just say, I'm at your beck and call, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, but I don't really trust you, and you don't really have my best interest at heart, then you're going to use and abuse me. But if I'm entrusting myself to people who are like-minded, and we see that multiple times in this passage, don't we? If I'm entrusting myself, if you choose to entrust yourself in Christian community to brothers and sisters who are like-minded, then think about it this way. Their goal is to also imitate Christ, become a servant, and serve you. And so we don't take advantage of one another. We submit ourselves to one another with the goal of glorifying God. And so there is a beautiful way this plays out where we care for one another. I will say that I've done this really poorly at times. In fact, I can think of an example. Pastoring a local church. And in comes a guest. Single dad with his daughter. And I meet them and I welcome them. Glad that you're here. And hear a little bit of their story. And I, and I tell them, you know, if there's a, any way that I can be helpful to you or serve you, I'm glad to do that. In sort of a surprising, shocking way, he responded with like, yeah, you can, you can help me. Like, oh, okay. Um, do you happen to have a lawnmower? This is not a made-up story. This is a real, real live uh, occurrence. <laughs> uh, yes, yes, I do. I have a, I have a push mower. We, we bought it just last summer. My lawn needs cut, and I don't have any way of getting my lawn cut, and it's reaching the point where it's out of control, and I don't have, I, I need, this, this is a need that I have. And so I'm like, you know what? I, I got you. Like, so, so give me your address. So he gives me his address. And so I load up my, my push mower and I drive in. And I'm noticing as, I, as I'm going, like, this is actually a really nice neighborhood. I'm, I'm going into a neighborhood that is way nicer than the neighborhood and community that I live in. Beautiful houses. And so I get to the place and I notice this is a big lawn. <laughs> At a beautiful house, and so I, I greet him. His daughter is there, and uh, I think I had a prayer with them, got to know them a little bit. Hey, I'm, let, me, let me cut your grass. So I, I cut his grass, load up, and go away. And so he then comes back the next Sunday uh, to our church. He worships with us, and he a- asks the same thing. He says, um, hey, are you able to, to cut my lawn? And I noticed that his neighbors had lawnmowers. I mean, all around him, like lawnmowers, like riding lawnmowers, nice lawnmowers. Their, their lawns are mowed, his is not. And so I asked about that. Uh, would it be possible that maybe, you know, I realize you need your lawn cut and you're, you want that to happen, but what about the neighbors? And so he tells me that's not, you know, that's not a possibility he'd like, he'd like for me to do. So I cut his lawn again. Lo and behold, he asks for a third lawn cutting. And at this point, you're thinking, well, John, like you, clearly you need to respond differently here. Well, I can be a total dunce, uh, which I was in this case, and I wasn't able to go, so I asked Rachel to go. So Rachel goes to this guy's house. He happens to be there, but he's like loading his, his car, and he's heading off on like a trip or a vacation or like a trip to the beach, or I forget exactly what it was, but 
He's like going away for leisure on the day. I'm like, yeah, thanks for cutting my lawn. And my wife mows his really large lawn with the push mower. And all of a sudden, we realize, I realize, like, this guy doesn't have a need for us to humbly come in and, and serve. This guy wants free lawn care. And for whatever reason, and again, this is, a, this is kind of a strange and bizarre story. <laughs> and and I, I, you know, full disclosure, like, I, I kind of feel silly. Like, my actions were really kind of silly here, especially telling, asking Rachel to go and do it. But it became clear, like, this is not a genuine need that this guy has. He wants free lawn care. And so I put my foot down and said to the individual, like, uh, what I did was I sent him a, I think it was like a Facebook marketplace or Craigslist, and it was like a used mower for 50 bucks. And it was like, um, you know, you could, buy this, you could buy this mower and mow it yourself or have your daughter mow it, but, like, this is not a way that, uh, that our family is going to continue to serve you. Um, I think it was three, in my recollection, uh, maybe like three or four weeks, maybe even five, maybe a little beyond that, that he had been showing up Sunday mornings worshiping with us. And, and he stopped coming to our church. <laughs> and I've, I've joked several times about, did he probably just went down the road to the next church and, and that pastor is now his lawn care boy? I don't know. But I mentioned that story because this is something that I'm grappling with, that, that yes, I am called to be a servant. I am called to humble myself. And serve others. I am in call to entrust myself right here at MCA. Right in the context of my core group. And humbly serve those people. But I want to entrust myself to those people who are like-minded. Who are trying to do the exact same thing. Care for me. And I also just want to point out again that it is a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit and what he's calling us to do. So there are times where the Lord says, bless that person, serve that person, care for that person, the least of these, who's never going to repay you, but you do it because you do it out of obedience. But what I'm learning is this is a very nuanced theological position, and it takes a lot of grace, and it's hard to say no when those needs pop up, but it becomes a stewardship issue. And so we see if we're going to have this contagious joy and imitate Jesus, we're going to think well of others, and we are going to serve others as God leads us to do that. And God is going to give us wisdom. (laughs) Lord, please give us wisdom. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16 that we have the mind of Christ. So I'm learning. Being a servant doesn't mean I'm at the beck and call of everyone. It doesn't mean I'm a doormat. It doesn't mean that I've always got to capitulate and give in to the whims of others. I'm going to seek the Lord, and I'm going to serve where he calls me to serve. I'm going to be a good steward of my time and my resources, even as I develop the heart of a servant, even as I long to imitate Christ. Okay, there's a a third way that we imitate Christ and have the contagious joy that he offers, and it is to sacrifice for others. Because I think it's one thing when we give out of our abundance or when we've got free time. Hey, do you need any help? I've got some free time. But it's a totally other thing when obedience means sacrifice. Like, I'm going to use my vacation time to go on a mission trip. By the way, did you know we've got a team of people who's going to be going to serve with Operation Christmas Child. This is happening the week after Thanksgiving. Going to go 
uh, take those shoe boxes, pack them up, get them shipped off to those needy kids around the world. If you want to go, we are putting together a team. Let us know. We would love to have you come along for that trip. Here's the biblical truth. The Lord rewards those who choose his kingdom over earthly comforts. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He chose the kingdom over earthly comfort. And so we're back in Philippians chapter 2, ready for verse 8, where it says, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now we know that Jesus was blameless and perfect. He was sinless. He had done no wrong. In order to atone for the sins of humanity, it had to be pure, shed blood. And only Jesus could fulfill that requirement. And so when he willingly went, when he laid down his life, it means that all who believe in him will have life eternal. The life with Jesus begins now and it lasts forever. And so to imitate Christ, we choose sacrifice. We choose to make sacrifices in order to serve and bless others. Again, as the Lord has led us, as the Lord has spoken to us, as the Lord has made clear to us, we then choose to walk in obedience, even if it means sacrifice. Jesus has this teaching in Mark chapter 8 and verse 35, where he says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. We saw this in Romans chapter 12, didn't we? That we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. It's been said that there is no joy when you put yourself above others. There is no joy in selfishness. There's no joy when you choose comfort over calling. There's no joy when you are at the center. Even for Jesus, the goal was to serve others, to do the will of the Father, to sacrifice himself. Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, for the joy set before Christ, he endured the cross. He went willingly. He went joyfully. Why? Because of his great love for us. Because he knew that that was God's plan and he walked in obedience. And by doing so, Christ brought glory to God. And ultimately, that's what our lives, that's what our work, that's what our obedience, that's what our service, that's what our thoughts, that's what our sacrifice should do, is bring glory to God. So then let's conclude the passage this morning. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In this giant chicken coop of life, most of us have a pretty clear idea of where we stand in the pecking order. So I implore you, don't trample on others. Be like Jesus, who said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Lord, help me to be more like you. Lord, help me want to be more like you. Help me think better of others. Help me think less of myself. Help me to hear your voice. As you call me, 
in specific times and places to lay down my life for you and for the gospel. In your mercy, hear my prayer. It's through Christ I pray. Amen.